If you are serving or you have served with our armed forces, will you please stand so that we can honor you today? Thank you. Thank you for your service and your sacrifice. We appreciate it. Um, welcome to TBA. My name is Dave Shive. I'm one of the pastors here at TBA Church, and it's great to have you with us. Have you with us this morning? Um, I want to start this morning by telling you a story. Um, Davy Blackburn was on staff as a pastor at New Springs Church in Anderson, South Carolina. He met Amanda Byers, who was the daughter of Phil Byers, who was the lead pastor at First Baptist Church in Elkhart, Indiana. And he met Amanda on a blind date. Neither, neither of them felt that this blind date was going to go very well. But that wasn't the case, and romance ensued, and they were married in 2008, and they started their life together. Both of them had a passion for God. Both of them devoted their lives to helping people finding safe, saving faith in Jesus Christ. And in 2012, God was calling both Davy and Amanda to something bigger. He was calling them to plant a church in Indianapolis. They said they moved with a dream and a calling to start a life-giving church that would connect people who normally wouldn't connect with church. From a Bible study composed of four people in a living room, Resonate Church was born and settled on the north side of Indianapolis. Resonate's vision is to connect people to life change and to see a contagious movement of God spread throughout Indianapolis. Davy and Amanda settled in their quiet suburban neighborhood of Wendell and welcomed their first son, Weston, into the world in 2014. And then not long after Weston was born, they found out they were expecting a second child. God was blessing them beyond their expectations as Davy and Amanda worked earnestly to answer the call God had on their lives. Davy said that his wife was actually the one who built Resonant Church. He said, Amanda... She was the backbone of this. She provided encouragement for me during times in which I felt like throwing in the towel. She would just speak life into me and say, I believe in you. And Jesus is going to make this happen and build his church. But as they were building the church, tragedy struck. November 10th, 2015 started out like any normal day. Davy left the house at 6 a.m. that morning to go to the gym to work out. He left the front door unlocked. Not an unusual thing. The neighborhood was a safe place. He didn't think anything about it. He returned home at 8.20 a.m. to find his wife lying in a pool of blood on the floor. His first thought was that something went horrifically wrong with her pregnancy. And Davy, re Davy recalled later in an interview, when I found her still breathing, I thought, this is bad, but if we just get her to the hospital, she's going to be okay. What David didn't know is somebody had been in his home. He didn't know that in, the mo in that moment that his wife, Amanda, suffered from gunshot wounds. See, not long after Davy left his house, three young men, Larry Taylor, Jalen Watson, and Deano Gordon, known as the Kill Gang, entered through the unlocked door to attempt a robbery while on their eight-day crime spree. They didn't know that Amanda was inside the house. Police reports say that Amanda charged the men to protect her son, Weston, 
who was in the crib next to her when she was shot. And Larry Taylor shot her three times, twice in the front and once to the back of the head. And she died, her and her unborn child died in the hospital 24 hours later. She was 28 years old. What do you say to that? I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be like. My heart breaks for this man and his family. I was writing this message exactly one year after it happened. Thursday was the one-year anniversary of her death. And I can imagine just how hard it is for them right now. And it's in times like these that a million questions come to my mind. Why? Why them? God, where were you? How could you let this happen to your servants? People who desperately love you, why is there so much pain and suffering in this world? I look at this world and I see all the evil that seems to go on unchecked, and I think to myself, when is enough enough? And it isn't just tragedy that is in some far corner of the world. Things like this happen here. In my family, in your family, in this church family, our church family has experienced deep tragedy, suffering, and pain in the few short years that we've been TBA. And at times it just feels like story after story after story of sickness and death and financial burdens and broken relationships and broken marriages and abuse and suffering. And in times like these, it's easy for us to start to doubt God's goodness. And we begin to ask, why do bad things happen to good people? And I don't know that I have the best answers for you. Because when you're going through the middle of something that's devastating in your life, it's hard to have perspective and understanding of the why. And I want you to know that if you're going through something difficult right now, and I know that a lot of us are dealing with some pretty heavy things, I want you, know, I want you to know that the why, the why will never suffice. The why doesn't take the pain away the why doesn't make it better. The why doesn't, in my opinion, help us to get any progress through the storm. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the why today. I'm going to give it to you real quickly. Why do bad things happen to good people? Here's the first thing that we have to understand. And that there is no such thing as good people. See, only God is truly good. If you've got your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look at this story of the rich young ruler. We've talked about this story a lot before, but there's a part of the story that I want you to look at because we often overlook it. Look at verse 17 in this story. It says this, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and he knelt down and he asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. So here's this man coming to Jesus trying to see if he measures up to the standard that brings salvation. And Jesus turns on him and asks, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And as we continue in the story, we learn that this man made his possessions his idol. And in his life, he was unwilling to give up on them. But the bigger principle of this story is that he thought everything that he did in his life was good enough to classify him in the group of good people. He thought that he could do something to earn his eternal salvation. 
And that was a common belief in the day of the Jews, and it's a common belief today. Most unsaved people think that God will one day add up all of their good works and add up all of their bad works, and if their good works exceed their bad works, they're going to get into heaven. But Jesus says that only God is good. Only God is good. Meaning that nobody else is. Meaning that none of us are good. The truth is we all deserve death. The problem lies in our comparative view of the world. When we start to compare our lives to the lives of others, we begin to set a scale of comparative goodness. And then we rank ourselves against each other on that goodness scale. Well, I'm a better person than that person because I'm honest and hardworking. Well, I'm definitely better than Amanda's killers because I'm not a murderer. And then we start to argue with God about fairness. God, why do you bless them and not me? It's not fair. God, why do you heal them and not me? It isn't fair. God, why, why do you allow me to suffer and not them? It isn't fair. Listen to me. The land of fairness is a dangerous place to be. You don't want God to judge you on our scale of fairness. Because the truth is, if God judges us on our scale of fairness, then we all deserve to die and go to hell. I mean, if anybody has the right to complain, if anybody has a right to complain about fairness, it's Jesus. He was the only real good person to walk this earth. He never committed a sin. He never did anything wrong. And yet God sacrificed him for you and me. And even for Amanda's killer. See, God isn't a God who just randomly deals out blessings here and there. He's a fair God, and justice is His. And there will come a time when all is made right in the world, but until then, until then, we have to trust that our God, number one, is in control, and number two, that He works all things according to His will and for our benefit, even using the suffering in our lives to show his goodness. See, the real question we should be asking isn't why bad things happen to good people. It's why do bad things happen in this world? And the short answer, and you're not going to like it, is that we live in a world full of sin. I mean, why would we expect to walk unscathed in a world, a world full of brokenness? We live in a world full of sinful people who inflict suffering on other people. Bad things happen because we as humankind do bad things to each other. But even beyond what we do to each other, even beyond the suffering we cause each other, I think about the things that are not in our control. Things like this last hurricane and all the devastation that it caused, especially in Haiti. I worry about the little girl that we sponsor there. And I wonder, why her? Why all those people? Why, why not others? I mean, I look at the poorest in our country, and I know that compared to the rest of the world, we live in ultimate riches. Why are we so wealthy when there are children starving in the world? Why is it that you can take a good Christian couple who desires to have kids and they can't have children when so many other people are having abortions? That was Ashley and I's story. We desperately wanted kids, but we couldn't have them. All the while, people who could have kids chose to abort them instead, which made adoption even more difficult for us because there were no babies to adopt. 
doesn't seem fair. Why is it that people who love God with all their hearts get sick with cancer or some other disease? And we pray and pray and pray and pray. And the God that I read about in Scripture, I know certainly can very easily heal these people, but he doesn't. And the list goes on and on and on about the things in my mind and certainly in yours that don't seem fair. Where is God in all of this? I told you the reason is that there's sin in the world, and that's true, and that's the short of it. But that answer doesn't always get it for me. And like I told you, why just doesn't suffice? Why doesn't comfort? It doesn't move us through the storm. It's the what we should be looking at. What is God trying to do in these moments of suffering? What is he teaching me? What does God want me to learn? What does he want me to do? And here's the what of what God is doing. God is growing your faith through suffering. I know this one thing to be true. When you're going through a major tragedy, it will either shake your faith or it will prove your faith, depending on how you respond to God. Davy Blackburn said there was a period of 24 hours at the hospital where medical personnel were running tests on Amanda to determine her brain activity. And during that stressful time, Davy and his relatives chose worship over worry by gathering around Amanda's hospital bed and singing worship songs together. Davy said a Bible verse that stuck out in his head during that time was 2 Chronicles 20.12, which reads, We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, Lord. He said that became the theme of those 24 hours. In that moment, we couldn't worry because it was completely out of our control. Worry wasn't going to do anything for us, he said. Davy said that while he was praying for Amanda, Amanda to live, he believes God's plan for her was even greater. He said in an interview, I prayed with the doctors and I was like, Lord, you're going to perform a miracle. You're going to bring her back right now and this whole hospital is going to experience revival. And what I discovered after they pronounced her dead was that God performed a miracle on the other side of eternity. He healed her. And I believe he did it in that way so that an entire nation and world could experience revival. During his time in the hospital, David said he kept remembering, Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. And we will glorify you in the good times and in the hard times. And all he could pray, he said, was the one prayer him and his wife had been praying their whole marriage. And it was, Lord, whatever you have planned, we surrender to you. See, how we respond to the suffering in our lives will determine how our faith grows. 1 Peter 1 says this, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now these people that Peter were writing to, they were, he was writing to a group of Christians who perhaps were the most persecuted and suffering Christ followers who ever lived. See, it was common in that day, the Romans, for entertainment, would take Christians 
and they would bring them to this huge coliseum, and they would watch lions eat these Christians alive. And it was to these Christ followers that Peter wrote these words. And he said, these trials show that your faith is genuine. Meaning these trials, these pains, these struggles, they come with a purpose. That faith, you're the most valuable thing that you have, the most valuable thing on this planet, your faith, which is greater than gold, may be proved genuine. You see, it's easy for me to prove great faith when everything's going the way that I want it to go. It's more difficult to claim great faith when my world is falling apart. But it's exactly in that time, it's exactly in that time, if you continue to seek God and surrender it to Him, that your faith will be proven true. Now you and I both know that's harder to, harder to do than say. And I'm not going to pretend that it's easy. Because all of us that have been through suffering know that it is anything but easy. But I want you to know this. No matter what you're going through, it's possible. It's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. There is healing on the other side. God is and will walk with you through all of it. He will never, ever abandon you. So how do we get through it? How do we keep faith in the fire? Well, let me give you a couple of biblical principles. And the first one is this. With the help of God's Spirit, we have to embrace God's purpose in our pain. Did I pass it? Yeah, sorry. We have to embrace God's purpose in our pain. Embrace His purpose. In the middle of your pain, you may not see it, you may not feel it, you may not even believe that it's there. But take comfort in our God is a good God who cares deeply and understands what you're going through. Our God is a good and sovereign God who never, ever wastes a hurt. God never, ever wastes a hurt. 2 Corinthians, it says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we can't see will last forever. See, it's so hard for us to hold on to an eternal perspective, especially in the middle of a storm. But that's what we're supposed to do. See, God is using this short time on earth, and it is very short. Paul says our lives are like a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. So with this short time on earth, God is using it. He's using our suffering to shape our character and mold us into the image of His Son, Jesus. We are being transformed into a masterpiece. And any transformation, any transformation requires pain. It requires pain. A magnificent sculptor, a magnificent sculpture starts out as a hunk of rock that's chipped away piece by piece by the master sculptor. The same is true for it, for us. And I've said this before, God is more concerned with your character than your comfort. He is. God is more concerned with your character than your comfort. He's more concerned with the intimacy of the relationship that you have with Him than He is with your happiness. 
See, the truth is we were called to suffer. Peter says we were called to suffering because Christ suffered for us. And it's in that suffering that we often draw draw closer to God than we ever have. And it's in that suffering that sometimes, maybe even for the first time, that God becomes real to us. See, after months of suffering, Job finally says to God, I'd only heard about you before, but now I see you with my own eyes. Job had been a godly, upright man, pleasing to God, but the difference between what he knew of God in prosperity and what he knew of him through adversity was the difference between hearing about him and actually knowing him. Just because you're facing pain at this moment does not mean that God is not good, because he is. He is good. And just because you would give anything, anything for it to go away, does not mean that eternally that it is the best thing for you. Did you hear what I said? Just because you would give anything to make the pain go away doesn't mean that God doesn't think it might be the best thing for you. Embrace his purpose in the middle of your pain. There's an encounter that Jesus has with a blind guy, and it's in John 9. And everybody wanted to know why this guy was born blind. Whose fault was it? And Jesus said, and John says this, and Jesus was walking along, and he saw a man that had been, whoa, where am I at? I'm sorry. Okay, and Jesus was walking along, and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. See, this was a pain with a purpose behind it. It was a hurt that was not wasted. This happened so the work of God might be displayed through his life. And Jesus went on to heal this guy, and God was glorified in the process. So we have to embrace God's purpose in the middle of our pain. And the second thing we have to do is we have to embrace God's peace in our pain. And again, I know that some of you are going through some pretty rough times right now. And I would say to you now, in the middle of what you're going through, right now, in this moment, I pray that you would embrace God's peace in your pain, that you would embrace a peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. Right now, in the presence of God, that you would embrace His peace. Paul says this in Philippians, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Tell Him what you need. And thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, when you cannot make it on your own, when it's too much, when you don't have all the answers, when you don't understand, cry out to God. Call upon him. Tell him what you need. Even be thankful in the storm. And what happens is you might find yourself divinely positioned for a gift. That gift being complete dependence upon God. And then you present what you're incapable of handling to God. And scripture says the peace of God which transcends all understanding, which is impossible for us to humanly understand, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Davey wrote this in his blog April of this year. Here's what he said. What people will often do when they encounter a trial, a tragedy, or a painful experience is they will try to run away from the pain. Pain is terrifying. It's messy. It sneaks up on you and it can cripple you in an instant. It knocks the breath out of you. But it can't kill you. See, most people are fearful of stepping into pain, letting their heart feel the full weight of it, working through it and giving it over to the Lord. It makes you feel too exposed and vulnerable. And so they never actually come to a place of healing. So what people do is they box up the pain and they run away from it. The only problem is by doing that, they're running straight into an ambush. Months, years, even decades down the road, it will ambush them and take them out. When you try to box it up, it booby traps you later, this time with even more ferocity. My family and I have decided to adopt a different approach. Instead of running away from the pain, we've decided to run toward it. We've decided to embrace it. We've decided to deal with it head on. Perhaps the greatest example of running towards the pain we were faced with recently was going back to my house where Amanda was killed. As much as I didn't want to step back into that living room where I found her, I knew I couldn't keep that boxed up. So that morning I returned. I put worship music in my earbuds. I laid down on the spot where I found her and I wept and prayed and worshiped. And I'll tell you something. Something miraculous happened. After about 45 minutes of running towards the pain, I was better. I had released it all. The darkness that in my mind had hovered over that location was now taken captive by a risen Savior, and I wasn't afraid of it anymore. Peace that extends beyond anything we can understand. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Band, you guys can come up. What storms are you going through right now? What suffering are you enduring? Whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we serve an amazing God who desperately loves you and understands every pain, understands every suffering that you're dealing with. Not only does he understand it, he wants to use it. He is a God that is turning ashes into beauty. He is the God who comforts not like no other. He is the God who gives peace beyond understanding. Cry out to him today. Let him have control. Surrender your pain to him. Embrace his purpose for your pain. Embrace his peace in your pain. You can respond in a couple of ways today if you feel led to. You can come up to the stage and pray and lay out whatever you're dealing with to God and put it at his feet. You can go to next steps. We'll pray for you over there if you need somebody to pray over you. Whatever it is, whatever God's calling you to do, I would ask that you would respond and surrender whatever it is and give it to God today. Maybe your marriage is broken and you need to pray for that. You need to be on your knees for it, asking God what you need. Maybe you're experiencing illness 
and you need somebody to pray over you, maybe you just need to go to a friend and ask them to pray with you. We're called to carry each other's burdens. That's what we're called to do. That's what the family of God does. You don't have to go through this alone. God is with you through every step of it. Your church family is with you through every step of it. Yes, I'm not telling you the pain's going away. The pain will still be there. It will be there. But God's using it, and you will be healed. And you will come out on the other side in time. We just have to trust him and trust what he's doing in our lives. So when the band plays, you respond as God calls you to do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing love and sacrifice. God, I thank you that you are truly a good, good God. And God, I know that your will is not for us to suffer. You didn't create us that way. You created things to be perfect. But our sin messed all that up. But God, I also know that you use our suffering to grow us, to change us, to shape us, to teach us. God, some of us in here, are, we're just crying out to you because our souls are being crushed. We don't know what else to do, Lord. My prayer is that you would bring peace, peace that only you can bring, healing that only you can bring, Lord. Help us surrender to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.